the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Jesuit priest, Anthony DeMello, said that our very first addiction is an addiction to approval. And that is, as children, we become attuned to the reaction of others who have the power to make us happy or miserable and create fear and desire. I can really relate to that. I crave approval. And I think that's kind of universal. And I don't want to disappoint anyone in my life. I've recognized this trait as people-pleasing. So here are a few lighter examples from, actually there is a book called The People-Pleaser's Guide to Pleasing People. Um, here's the first one. If someone asks you what you want to do, ask them what they want to do instead. Okay, here's a little dialogue. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Whatever you want to do. Well, I'm open to whatever. Well, what are you in the mood for? I don't know. How about you? That can go on for a very long time. So my sister and I perfected a sibling version of this dance called Ask Three Times. And it starts like this. Do you want to go? No, that's okay. Are you sure? It'll be fun. No, you go and have fun. I'll be okay here alone. Well, come on, go. Oh, okay, if you insist, I'll go. Oh, we, we play that out in all kinds of different versions of that. Here's another one. Say yes to something that you really don't want to do. Do you want to babysit our terrible triplets every Friday night? Sure, that'd be great. I'd love to. In fact, this is correlated very closely to don't ask for anything directly. Say like you want to ask someone out. Uh, and there's a disclaimer here because I actually did this. This is like a verbatim from when I tried to ask somebody out to a sorority dance in college. Um, hey, I'm, I'm sure that you're, you're already doing something next Friday, so don't worry if you can't go because I know that you have a lot of stuff going on and you probably already have plans and I don't even know why I'm asking because I'm sure that you can't go, but if you could go, that would be great, but I understand if you can't, so sorry, I'm sorry, sorry again. And the last but not least are the perennial favorites. Never be the first one to end a phone call, so you just sit there in the call, uh-huh, 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 for, for much past when you should get off the phone. And always say you're fine, especially when you're not. And because I grew up in a family affected by generations of alcoholism, I have an acute case of people-pleasing. The pandemic has helped me see this in technicolor as we let go of things, and now maybe we are deciding what to pick back up. The problem with people-pleasing is it doesn't please anyone, least of all people. It is not loving ourselves as our neighbor. It's actually self-centered because it's abdicating responsibility for one's emotions, likes and dislikes, and then feeling angry and resentful. People-pleasing is not pleasing to God because it's hiding yourself, the you that God made, behind a smokescreen. Jesus sees the real you and wants to release you from this bondage of self with love. So as you can guess, Jesus is no people-pleaser. And the gospel today is a very good example of that. And it's my least favorite passage in the New Testament. Honestly, when I saw it today, I was like, oh, no. Because this Jesus makes me really uncomfortable. It's one of those scripture passages that I used to wonder why it was even included in the Bible. The gospel of Mark is always toying with our expectations of Jesus. 
proving that we don't truly know who he is or what he came here to do. We can make Jesus into like a bobble-headed influencer, always saying yes, instead of facing the fact that he often makes us feel uncomfortable and disoriented. In the gospel today, Jesus seems unjustly rude to the Syrophoenician woman who needs help. And then he pits two of the things I thought Jesus would unquestionably love against each other, children and puppies. It feels to me like those commercials for pharmaceuticals that show puppies and children frolicking while underneath all the dire effects are scrolling across. And I guess we all want Jesus to be that smiling, puppy-playing, children-playing, pleasing Savior, when really there's this label going across the bottom that says, warning, this Savior is an outlier who is so offensive that he will die a grisly death. C. Clifton Black reminds us that Jesus' offensiveness in this gospel story today is a fact we have to face. Jesus flummoxes everyone who boxes him into conventional expectations, the pious, his family, his disciples, and even us. If we too were not gobsmacked by his reaction, it's a safe bet that we have domesticated Jesus and have neutered the gospel. You know, Jesus has been blunt all through Mark about upending the Jewish traditions of purity and defilement, as we heard last week from DZ. From the first chapter in Mark, when the Holy Spirit rips open the sky to claim Jesus as the beloved, he capsizes every expectation we have of him as a nice Christian guy to break through boundaries to reach the unreachable. Jesus bypasses our dishonesty and manipulation to get to the heart of the matter, which is our salvation. The woman who comes to him in this story is a five-time loser in the purity games. She's the wrong gender, the wrong race, the wrong religion, with a daughter defiled by a demon, and she has arrived at the wrong time, disturbing Jesus' rest. She is at the farthest edge one could go from the kingdom of God. What has she done to merit the healing of her daughter? Nothing. What does Jesus owe her? Nothing. Has she in some way proven that she deserves the healing power from the king of the Jews? No. There is a very close parallel here with the Samaritan woman at the well, as Jesus seems to know who she is and what she needs. He is dead honest with her. We tell people what they want to hear, and Jesus tells us what we don't want to hear, the truth about us, our situation, and our inability to make ourselves worth saving. What if Jesus refused to heal her daughter? The theologian Alice McKenzie postulates about that and says, then he would be a savior whose salvation is limited to those who are like him. In other words, no savior at all. In this difficult-to-hear passage, Jesus verbalizes the good news that salvation is for us, all of us. And there's always more than enough grace to go around for the children, the dogs, the women, and us. Grace upon grace. The Syrophoenician woman's little girl received that grace from miles away, and she did nothing for it. So if you're wondering today if you're worth saving, 
If the things that you have done knock you out of the purity games in your mind, if you think that you're the wrong age, the wrong color, the wrong gender, the wrong social class, and not feeling good enough, then this is very good news for you. Jesus Christ goes to any lengths, breaks any boundary to get to you, not because of what you have done or haven't done, but because of who he is and what he has done. You do not have to please him or other people to be loved and accepted. This is the very definition of grace. You know, I want to close by repeating the collect of the day as a reminder that it is not our intellect, our strength, or good works, good family, bank account, pedigree, or pile of degrees that give us value, but the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves you far too much to leave you miserable and alone. Grant us, O Lord, to trust in you with all our hearts, for as you always resist the proud who confide in their own strength, so you never forsake those who make their boast of your mercy. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.